0: Matthew chapter number 22. Uh, let's re- begin reading in verse number 15 as we start this tonight. I, I, it's really a continuation of what it began last week and, and uh, determining and thinking about the change that Jesus makes in our life. And certainly, he does make a change when we come to him. And so, we began last week just exploring a little bit of this. So, we'll, uh, I want to pull a passage here out, then we'll go back to. Romans chapter number 6, which is a tremendous passage that helps us understand some doctrinal truths about what we are and who we are in Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter number 22. Begin reading with me in verse number... I need to get there as well. Verse number uh, 15, please. Verse number 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Here the, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees have sent out uh, those under disguise and Thinking that uh, making themselves out to be disciples of Christ. And though they're seeking to learn something of Christ. They're actually seeking ways in which they could entangle him. Or cause him to stumble in some way. Or find some fault in him. So he's saying, we know that thou art uh, regardless not the persons of men. It's not about men. And, And then they ask this question. In seeking to entangle our Lord. Tell us therefore... What thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute under Caesar, or not? Should we pay our taxes? God, you're not a you're not a respecter of persons. So should we be paying our taxes? And of course, if Jesus said no, then there we have him. Um, and so, if he says yes, then what about this respecter of persons kind of thing? And he. They ask him that question, should we pay our taxes to Caesar? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Well, Lord had just a way of seeing clear through things, didn't he? You know, he still has a way of seeing clear through us too. <laughs> he knows our motives. He knows the things we think. He knows the things in the way in which we live and act and Jesus sees it all. And he says, "Why tempt me, ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money." And they brought him unto him a penny. And he said to them, "Whose is this image and superscription?" And they saith unto him, "Caesar." Then saith he unto him, "Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's." But I want you to notice this last phrase. But unto God the things that are God's. Give to Caesar those things that are Caesar's. But as you're doing this, understand, you're also to give God those things that are his. Whose picture, whose image is on this coin, he asks. Tonight, the topic of our time together, I want to ask this question. Whose image is upon you? Whose image is upon you? If it's the image of Christ... Then Christ says to give to Christ those things that are His. Whose image do we bear tonight? Look with me at Romans chapter 8 please. Romans chapter number 8 verse number 29. We probably touched on a few of these verses last week. But let's consider it with regards to the image of Christ. And whose image is to be upon us. Romans 8. And verse number 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is not a verse that teaches, as the Calvinists try to teach, that God chooses some for heaven and some for hell. But God predestinates whom he did foreknow... He did predestinate. This was his plan. This is his purpose. What's his plan and purpose for all those who come to know Jesus Christ? This is, this is it. He says to be conformed into the image of his son. That's his plan for us. And sometimes we we are all about and I think we should be and, and we all are, are all about sending missionaries and preaching the gospel and getting the gospel out. And that's a A must, it's it's the Great Commission, but it must not stop there. It must go on, and we must understand that once somebody gets saved, once somebody comes to saving faith in Christ, then now they are to go forward with the image of Christ being stamped upon them. And they must understand that in salvation, that image is there, it is stamped. And so therefore, we are Christ, we are bought with a price, we are not our own. So we belong to Him. So if we belong to Him by way of salvation, <clears throat> then we owe Him our lives. We owe Him uh, our beings. We owe Him our time, our talent, our treasure, everything about us. We owe the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18. Look at that one. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18. <clears throat> With me tonight. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Beholding as within a glass. What are we looking at? He's talking about a mirror. Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. This, I believe, is the glass. This is the looking glass. Beholding as in the word of God the glory of the Lord. Where do we find the glory of the Lord? It's in the word of God. As we look into the Word of God, we're beholding the glory of God. And as we do this, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. You see, we're changed. There's a transaction that's ongoing, that's continually taking place. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God working through the Word of God... Changes us. And we're to have and bear forth that image. Whose image is on you? Now Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. We again dealt a little bit about this last week. But God's purpose uh, for our lives is that we might be conformed into the image of His Son. That we might look like Him. Now, look like him in character, look like him in action, look like him in our thinking and our responses. In every part of our lives, we're to look like Jesus Christ. What does Jesus Christ look like? He is he looks like holiness, righteousness, obedience. That's what we are to look like in our lives as Christians. From the moment we are saved, God begins to work into our lives to make us more like our Lord Jesus Christ. That work goes on from the point we, time we are saved until the time Jesus comes to call us home. And we talked a little bit about that last week. That process is sanctification. Growing in grace. Growing in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And growing in grace cannot just be gaining in knowledge. The Bible says the devil's they believe, but they're not saved. They know this Bible. They can quote the Bible, but they're not born again. A whole lot of people can quote Bible to you. They can quote a whole lot of truth. But has it changed them? It's not We're not talking about knowledge here. We're talking about applying the knowledge that we have. Putting into practice the things that God has taught us. I want us to think about tonight a little bit further about how God accomplishes This work of change within us. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 1. And Paul asks a very, very important question here. He says, shall we continue in sin? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's speaking to the believer. And he says, should we as believers continue to go on in sin? That sin could vary, could be a multitude of different things, the sin that doth so easily beset us. It may not necessarily be something that is outright worldly, rebellious and wrong, but it could be something that would keep us out of from following the will of God. It could be something that would keep us out of church. It could keep, be something that would keep us from our prayer life. Something that would keep us from our Bible study. Something that would keep us uh, and, and cause something else to be put first place in our lives. All of these things. And he, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound. He says, God forbid. God forbid. And that reminds us of, of, of really of a very important principle. God's grace is not a license to sin. And that's the thing that Paul is dealing with here. Um, he deals with that in chapter number 5. And those that were saying that, you know, we can go on and God's grace is so good that we can just go on living the way we want to live, do anything we want to do. And then when by doing so, it magnifies the grace of God. And Paul comes back and says, no, 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 no. It's the grace of God that we've been given is not a license to do as we please. God wants us to change and God expects change in our lives. And you know what? As Christians, we should expect some change in our lives as well because God liveth within us. In order to see that change, we must understand our position in Christ. Our position, the moment we got saved, our position is righteous before Christ. It's righteous before the Lord. I think in prayer meeting the other day. I heard someone, one of the men praying and talking about how we stand righteously before God the moment we are saved. It's not our righteousness that brings us into right relationship, but it's Christ's righteousness imputed to us, put into our account, upon us ourselves. And so when Christ sees us, he does not see our sin, but he sees the righteousness of God, of Christ, his Son, Applied to us. That is our position. The moment you get saved. You are positionally right with Christ. In righteousness. But also beyond that. We are new creatures. Not only positionally right. But we are now new creatures. So we are right positionally. But we are also made right. With the ability. To be right. Not just a theological concept of imputed righteousness but a but a day in and day out reality of righteousness that God now gives us the ability to live out on a day in and day out basis in our homes in the workplace places we play places we frequent wherever we may go now in order for this change to take place we mentioned it last week We must agree that we need to change. You ever come across somebody that cannot say, I was wrong? You know, don't name any names here, but maybe, maybe, uh, just cannot say, I made a mistake. Cannot say, I was wrong. You were always the one who was wrong, but they never are. You know, I think sometimes we come that way with God. Well, I couldn't have been wrong here, but we're good at excuses, aren't we? That was a mistake, or uh, I did what I did because somebody else did what they did. We're good blame shifters that somebody else is doing. And if they hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done this. So because they did that, that made mine righteous indignation. We have to understand that we need to change. We can't change ourselves, but because of our position in Christ, and now the Holy Spirit in us gives us the ability to live for Christ, change must take place. We need to change. What what is it that we need to change? What needs to change within us? We need to understand that we have a sinful nature. Our flesh desires, even after salvation, there's this flesh that continues, it desires to sin. Have, have we, we come to the understanding that sin is natural. You Just spend a little time in the nursery. Give Johnny the tractor and see if the other, see if Freddie wants the tractor too. And it comes natural. And you don't have to look in the nursery. You can just look around all of us. It comes natural in the way we respond. Uh, does it happen to you this way? As it often does to me. You know, that you're going down that road, and that fella, he just cuts over there, you know. And and all of a sudden, that righteous indignation just pops up all of a sudden, you know. It's a natural thing, but it's a natural sinful thing. And we may work to control it, to tamper it down, but the fact is that it's there. When we were lost, there was only one option. Only one option available for us, and that's sin. Sin dominated our lives. It's the only option we had. A lost man can't stop sinning. He can turn over a New Year's resolution. He can, uh, he can go to AA. He can do all the things like this. But you know what? He can't stop it in and of himself. He can work harder at doing better, but that won't change him. It might help him be a little more disciplined along the way. But it won't change him from the inside out. A lost man only has one option. Sin dominates his life. Why? Because that's the old man. And when we get saved, that old man was conquered at the cross. And a new life is possible. You must be born again. Born again, the old man is dead. The new man is now alive. Doesn't mean we're not struggling with that old flesh that rears its head. But the Bible deals with that as well. Our flesh does not desire spiritual things. The flesh does not desire spiritual. It may desire religious things. So that we can feel good about ourselves. That we did a religious act and we check off the box. Makes me feel better about myself. A lot of people are religious. But when it comes to spiritual matters... The, desire, the flesh does not desire spiritual things. I remember as a, as a young man before I got saved, I, I, I didn't want to be in church. I, I, I looked for every opportunity to get out of church. A sprinkle of rain was a good reason not to go to church. I worked on Friday. I can't go to church on Sunday. Everything. There was a reason I looked forward to not going to church. But when I got saved... That changed. God put a desire to be in the house of God. He put a desire to be under the preaching of God's word. I never had that before. What took place? God put a desire there through the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if the Holy Spirit's indwelling a man, the Holy Spirit who always points us to Jesus. Holy Spirit doesn't point to a man. Doesn't point to an object. Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. And so he'll point us to Jesus. And one main way in which he'll do that is saying, you know what? You need to be in a place that's worshiping God. You need to be in a place where the word of God is preached and it's taught. And God puts that within us. That new man now is available and it's there. Galatians 5 16 and 70, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here he's talking to believers. The believer is the only one that can have the spirit. So he's saying to these believers, he's saying to you and I, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust says I want to go this way, but the spirit of God says I'm pointing you this way. He says yield to that spirit for the Flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the, the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. One main indicator, and I think one main thing that in an individual's life is to ask themselves the question. This question, are there spiritual desires in my life? Are there spiritual desires in my life? And if we can look at our life and honestly evaluate it according to the word of God. And look at this and say, you know what? I've lived life without a spiritual desire. I don't, I'm not asking you if you walked an aisle and said a prayer. But was, has there been a spiritual desire? Has something changed? Is there a, something within you that's drawing you to the Lord? You follow that, and that's the Spirit of God leading and guiding you. If there's never been that spiritual desire, again, I can't look into your heart, but I would say according to the Word of God and on the authority of the Word of God, examine ourselves to see if we'd be in the faith. Our flesh is always going the other direction, contrary one to the other. Our flesh never improves. It never improves. If you come to understand that like I have, it just gets weaker and weaker and weaker. It never improves. We think we improve with age. No, I don't think we do. I used to think, well, somebody, when you get to be Brother Bragg's age, he's got it all figured out. He don't even have to deal with anything, man. He just passed it all. Can't wait till I get there. Is that the way it works, Brother Bragg? God still works on us. God still works on us, and He's working on us. He'll keep on working on us until He comes and gets us. And when He comes and gets us, He won't need to work anymore because we'll receive that heavenly body we've been talking about on 1 Corinthians 15. But He keeps on working. The flesh never improves. John 3 and 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of God is not guiding them and leading them to spiritual things. But they're so caught up in these things. And so many people say, yeah, I'm born again. I'm on my way to heaven. But this tends to be the the arena in which so many people live their lives. The point is, change will never come through the flesh. But change... Is possible with the Spirit of God living within us as we deny the flesh. You see, that's the crux of the matter. So oftentimes we enjoy our sin to the degree that we're not willing to say no to our sin. We'd rather have our sin, and we're in dangerous territory when that's taking place. We can never become Christ-like. We can never become Christ-like while at the same time yielding to the cravings and the demands of the flesh. You'll never become Christ-like. I'll never have that image whose image is stamped upon us. I'll never look like Christ until I yield myself to Him. And that's what Romans 6 deals with. We see that the flesh needs to be changed because of that sinful nature. Because of our selfish desires, it'll never get better. Proverbs 14 and 12, there's a way that seemeth right in man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Our natural tendency is to do it our way. Our way. There was someone who made a probably millions of dollars years ago with a song that said, I'll just do it my way. I'll do it my way. No, that never brings happiness until we do it God's way. Isaiah 53 and 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have to admit that our way is in the flesh is consistently contrary to God's way for our lives. We have to acknowledge that we cannot change ourselves. But our lives can only be changed and they will be changed. And they can be changed by God living within us. And this, this is the matter of agreement with God. And I think this is where we must come to. In order for change to take place in our life, we must agree with God. What we often do is argue with God. Argue with God. But we must agree with God. That's humbling ourselves, agreeing with God. And then God will give us the grace that we need to make those changes in our lives. It's not in our ability, but it's in our agreement. And allowing God to work through our lives. For us to become Christ-like, we must admit that we need to change. Anybody here, you don't raise your hand. But I, if, there was a, 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 if there was a picture in Webster's Dictionary for change or need to change, uh, my picture would be right there. And I think all of us, if we're transparent, would say that'd be me too. There are some things in my life that I know God wants change and I know I need to change. We must believe not only that we need to change, but secondly, we must believe... What God says about change. What He says about it. We must have the faith. What Christ did for us upon Calvary's tree. And then moving forward. We've already believed. The moment we are saved. We, we believe. We've trusted Christ. And His crucifixion for us. His death, burial and resurrection. We trust Him for salvation. And now after salvation. The next step. And God wants us to know that the old man is crucified and then now we're trusting him for victory. You see we trust him for salvation now the next step is trusting for everyday victory in our life. The old man is that part that's enslaved to sin. It's that part that's an enmity, an enmity with God. And because that old man has been crucified We now have freedom to refuse sin. We now have the ability to do so. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him in the likeness, excuse me, buried with him by baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The moment you get saved is the moment you receive newness of life. That opportunity to go forward in the power of Christ living within you and within me. That old man is crucified. I don't have to obey that old man. You know, you ever seen those huge Pictures and maybe a video or something of those massive elephants. I think I saw a picture of Brother White on an elephant one time. These massive elephant elephants, you know, they these things have these trunks and these these big ones. Uh, I'm sure they have the ability to just take their trunks and turn a car over if they wanted to. But you know, you ever seen them at these on these pictures where they take these massive animals? that could probably with a few bumps could push through a wall. And they put a little stake in the ground and they tie a little rope on his foot. And that elephant, he'll just go around that stake all day long. But he thinks he's tied. I'm hooked. I I can't get away. You know, I think as Christians, we oftentimes are like that. We have the ability to overcome sinner lives, but we got this small little rope that's tied to a stake and we think, we're stuck. And Jesus says, no, you're not. That rope has been severed. That old man, that old flesh, it's, it's severed. You don't have to obey it. You don't have to obey its lusts any longer. Have faith in the word of God concerning the way in which God changes us. Look at verse number 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lusts thereof that sin is broken, we're to be crucified we're to reckon ourselves, reckon ourselves to be dead indeed under sin that word reckon is a is a yielding is a is an accounting term it's it's accounted is done it's a done deal it's finished. reckon yourselves, reckon that old. Dead self gone. Dead. You don't have to obey it. We can have victory in Christ. We have to have faith in the word of God concerning this matter of change. And really, when we look at the picture of baptism, that's exactly what it is. In Romans chapter 6, we read the verses that baptism is a picture, is an outward sign of an inward reality buried in the likeness. Of his death. Raised to walk in newness of life. That old man is dead. It's gone. I don't have to obey it anymore. From this point forward. There's change. I'm going to go on with Christ. At salvation. Not only do we receive something we never had. That's salvation. Forgiveness of sins. We receive something that we never have. But we also become something that we never were before. A new man. A new man in Christ. And our faith in this work, in this finished work of Christ, is the victory. Verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. And henceforth, we should not serve sin. And he that is dead is freed from sin. That bondage is broken. 1 John 5 and 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You know, when we get saved, there ought to be some breaking of some old habits. And there ought to be some making of some new habits. Breaking of some old and some making of a new. There ought to be some old habits that just go away. I don't run with the crowd I used to run with. I don't talk the language I used to talk with. I don't watch the things I used to watch. There ought to be some habits That are added to it. There will be some habits of faithfulness. Habits of faithfulness. There will be some habits of godly living. Some habits of serving God. Some habits of tithing. Some habits of giving God our life. Turn with me to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. Verses 6 and following. Wonderful passage here. Colossians chapter number 3, verses 6 through 10. Colossians 3, verses 6 through 10. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. This is the old man. This is the old habit. You used to walk in those things. And the wrath of God was upon us. It was upon the children of disobedience. When you were walking in these things. But please take your Bibles. And if you haven't done so already. Mark those words. Underline those words. But now. But now. You also put off all these anger. Wrath. Malice. Blasphemy. Filthy communication. Out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, this is amazing. This is the exchanged life, the new life in Christ, putting off and putting on and and i I, I, I fear that sometimes in our preaching and in our our teaching that 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 the bulk of our preaching is all about putting off. Putting off. Putting off. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, and you can't do that. But there ought to be some teaching about putting on. Replacing. You see, you can put off and put off and put off. But there's something that needs to be replaced. You put off ungodliness and you put on godliness. You put off wickedness, and you put on righteousness. You put off not living for God, and you put off living for God. You put off unfaithfulness, and you put on uh, faithfulness. The exchange that takes place. We must yield to the Spirit of God. There must be a yielding the spirit of god and this is where it all takes place the spirit of god that dwells within us it's that yield excuse me that yielding to his spirit go back to romans chapter 6 verses 13 and 14 romans 6:13 and 14 neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto god As those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law but under grace. Not that grace may abound that we continue in sin. But that grace that enables us to overcome the sin that once so easily beset us. We couldn't break free from. That held us like that elephant on that rope. That we could not break ourselves free from. That grace, that enabling grace that God gives us, that's that new life grace in Christ. You know, and this matter of yielding, this is where it, it, rubber meets the road. It's a choice. It's a choice. Sometimes I think we we expect God to hit us in the head with a two-by-four to straighten us up. And He may do that at times. But we think it's God, He has to do, He has to make the change for us. But it's that yielding. It's that moment. That moment when temptation comes into our hearts. When temptation meets our eyes. Or temptation comes uh, from, uh, upon our lips to, to, to curse or to say something or anger. That moment that we can go flesh or we can go spirit. And we, by God's grace, we say, you know what? I'm not going that way. And I don't have to go that way. Oh flesh, oh man, you are dead. I don't have to listen to you anymore. I don't have to do what you tell me I always had to do before. Why? Because there's a new man. He's Jesus Christ. He's the Holy Spirit living within me. The old man, I don't obey him anymore. But the new man, that's the direction I'm going. You see, it's a choice. It used to be this old, I guess if you call him a comedian, years and years ago, he used to excuse his sin. He'd say, the devil made me do it. No, the flesh makes us do it. Our yielded, the yieldedness to that flesh. You see, it's a choice. It's a choice that we make. Change is a result of... Of what God does when we yield. You see, when we yield, God then enables and God gives the ability to go on in Christ. And that's when the change begins to take place. The ability is there. We just need to tap in to what we've been given. The Holy Spirit. And yield to His power and His strength. Being yielded is not a matter of... Uh, uh, of. Just trying harder to do better. Being yielded is a a matter of devotion. I'm not devoted here anymore. I'm devoted here. It's a matter of direction. I'm not going that way. I'm going this way. Yielding is something that we must do daily. Daily. Sometimes I think maybe we come to the point where you say. Well I yielded that a long time ago. But I'm still dealing with it. Well, you got to yield it again, and yield it again, and yield it again, and give it back to the Lord, and say, "No, no, 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 I'm going to go with God. I don't have to go that way anymore." We do it daily. We die daily. A daily dying to self. Luke nine and twenty three, and He saith to them all, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross once in a life, once in a lifetime, and follow me." Let him take up his cross on Sunday morning in church. But he didn't have to on Monday morning. It's not what the Bible says. But let him take up his cross daily. Daily. Moment by moment and follow me. You know, and if we're not meeting with God and yielding to God daily in that daily basis, it's unlikely we won't yield to God in the matters of temptation. The issues that come to our lives. And that's why it's important that we're faithful in the word of God. Faithful in our prayer life. Faithful in our service. And faithful in our church. Just all works together to bring about that change. The yielded life will become a Christ-like life. The yielded life will become a Christ-like life. God always changes the life that's yielded to Him. Galatians 5 and 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We read that verse earlier, but it's so applicable. The grace of God never leads us, never leads us to excuse sin in our lives. But the grace of God and the power of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives leads us to refuse sin in our lives. Never to excuse it, but always to refuse it. There are many people, as we mentioned in Romans chapter 5, that thought that grace allows a lifestyle if anything goes. But that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. God's grace will always lead us. God's grace will always lead us to a more holy life. If somebody looks at our life, whose image would they see stamped upon us? One of the constant themes that we hear at political times of year, we hear it all the time, we're still hearing it today, is you know what we need most? We need change. Politician says change, change, change. We got a better change than they do. However, the kind of change that our nation needs, the kind of change we need is from within. It's a spiritual change. It's not a political process. It's a spiritual process. It's called revival within our own hearts. Revival within our own hearts. Living a Christ-like life daily within our living, within our interactions. We need this kind of change. Salvation is the thing this country needs. And it will take place one individual at a time. Going on with Christ. People getting saved in God's church. Going on in sanctified living. Going on being changed. Allowing God to change us. We must agree that we need to be changed. We're not to continue in our sin. We cannot. God forbid. We must reckon. We must agree that God is right. And we must believe that change is possible. Change is possible. Because of what God's done. Because of who lives within us. The Holy Spirit. And then we must yield ourselves in obedience to the word of God. Yield ourselves in obedience to the word of God. Romans eight thirteen and 14. With this I'm done. If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's the Spirit of God bearing witness within our spirit that we're truly born again. That's the Spirit of God allowing the changes and producing the changes in our life as we yield. Is there an area tonight in our lives that we need to yield? That we know that God wants change? Is there an area that we put in front of God? Is there an area of sin? Maybe no one knows about it, but God does. God sees it all. Maybe it's an area of an attitude. An attitude about the things of God. An attitude about the church of God. Maybe it's just an issue of just knowing that God is calling me to do something for Him. And I've just said, no. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I don't know what it is tonight. But God does. And He's put His finger on our hearts. He said, this is an area I need you to change in. And you know what? When even I say it like that, I don't want to be confusing. It's an area that God will change you in if you yield that area to Him. God will change you if you'll yield it to Him. Is there something that needs to be changed? Is there something we need to yield? Let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer.